everybody. So I don't think there's children's church this morning. So this week, well this day, I'm going to take a break from Romans. Yeah. I'm going to take a break from Romans. I was going to do Romans. I'm up to Romans 7, but I'm going to take a break from it um, today because I wanted to look at something a little bit different. Um, I wanted to... I've entitled today's sermon, The Preparing for the Underground Church. And um, that is inspired by a book called... The Eyes to the Front... <laughs> inspired by um, Richard Wormbrand, who you may or may not have heard of. I'll talk a little bit about that later. So I'll just open with prayer. Uh, so Father, thank you, Lord, for this beautiful summer's day, and um, thank you that we can gather together and um, gather together in your name. I commit this sermon into your hands. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So no, it's good to see there's, I think there's less than 25 and all going well will be in orange next week, so it won't be an issue. Unless old Omicron makes it into the country before then, in which case we'll probably be in the red. Anyway, don't want to go on too much about that. So turn with me, please, to Psalm 34, verse 4. So it won't be a great, so like Mike, it won't be a great deal of teaching today from the Word. It will be based on the Bible, but it won't be like Screeds and Screeds Scriptures either. Um, no, Psalm 37.4, I think. Yep, yeah, sorry, it's Psalm 37.4, so my apologies. Psalm 37, verse 4, and it reads, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Actually, we may as well go back to uh, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So, we delight ourselves in the Lord, he shall give us the desires of our heart. Now, we know fully that we're not talking about um, luxury goods and things like that. You may like nice cars and things along those lines, and there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But this isn't saying that God is going to give you a Lexus or a Mercedes or whatever if you delight yourself in the Lord. He's going to give the desires of your heart. And those who delight themselves in the Lord, the desires of their heart will be in line with God's desires. And I think we can all agree on that. So with that in mind, let's turn um, to issues around the underground church and obviously persecution. Because it seems to me and a lot of people that there's a sense among believers today that we're entering the end of days or really that we're moving swiftly in that direction. I think we entered the end of days some time ago, but we're moving quite quickly in that direction towards a conclusion of the age in which we live. And um, I think that feeling is probably more acute among older Christians than younger ones. And um, that's kind of understandable. Younger people still want to live their lives and experience what life has to offer. And that's fine. Be that as it may, the end will come when the end comes and it has absolutely nothing to do with me willing it to 
just stretch on a little bit or someone else willing it to come tomorrow makes no difference because it will be when it will be and there's nothing you can do about it. But I think there is a sense that we are coming into that time. And I think the reason for that is because of the... No, not the reason. But I think that sense has heightened since the pandemic. And I think we can all agree on that. And I'm not preaching on the pandemic um, as such because we're probably all fed up with it. Sick and tired of it. No pun intended. Or pun intended. But anyway... But I just want to look at three aspects of it, just to lay the, the groundwork. So there's the virus itself. It is what it is. You may think it's serious, not serious, whatever. It makes no difference because it is what it is and does what it does. So we're not going to go, I'm not going into the details there. Um, but the thing that's breeding disquiet among a lot of people is the politicization of it. And I've never seen anything like and I think a lot of people would agree. I don't know whether the, the, the Spanish flu of 1919 was politicized to such a degree. I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I would think not, but I don't know for sure. Um, but what's causing disquiet is a sense of political overreach. Mandates, um, tracking people, all sorts of different things that are causing people to realize that this is the sort of thing that will happen in the last days. That governments around the world, this government, other Western governments, particularly Western governments, though I think it's happening in other parts of the world too, are beginning to initiate totalitarian regimes in the name of managing health. And again, you can debate that issue the pros and the cons of it, and I'm not going to do that today. Um, it's uh, whatever's happening here, it's worse overseas in some areas, in Italy, for example. If you even want to go to work, it's not particular jobs or particular roles, you just want to go to work, you have to be vaccinated. So what's going on here is very much going on overseas as well. So... Okay, so that's the kind of thing that's causing a degree of disquiet. And with the political, it so often overlaps with the spiritual realm, and we know that the devil is the ruler of this age. Now, God has allowed the devil some degree and some leeway to rule this age and to rule this world. And we recall that he took the, not personally, but we know from Scripture, that he took Jesus to the top of... Um, I'm not sure which mountain it was. It might maybe Mount Hermon. I'm not sure. But he took Jesus to the top of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, this I will give you. He obviously had the power to do that. It's a very cheeky thing to do, though, because while the devil is in charge, he has been allowed to be in charge because God has not quite, not so much delegated that to him but allowed him to do it. And we know from the book of Job that the devil can't do anything except with God's permission. So it was cheeky of the devil, in a sense, um, and I don't know that cheeky really, I don't want to convey the wrong meaning, I don't want to make it out that the devil's some kind of rogue. He's much, much worse than that. But it was, it was, it was, it was, it was an incredible, that he 
had the audacity to offer the Lord himself the kingdoms of the earth. That shows the pride and the arrogance and evil of the devil. But nevertheless, he has been shown to be the ruler of this age. And so, um, <clears throat> and so the sense that, that I guess there's the spiritual aspect to the pandemic. <clears throat> now, it will get a lot worse when the Holy Spirit is removed at the time of the rapture because the Holy Spirit is the restraining hand on what is going on on the planet now. And that will be leading into the tribulation. Now, so that's the kind of groundwork that we're looking at and why there's a, a growing sense of disquiet among Christians about what's going on. Now, we do have to be careful about claims of persecution because the mandates are not aimed specifically at Christians. They're aimed at people who don't want to take the vaccination, whether they're Christians or not. So we do need to be very careful about claims of persecution. But we could make a case that this is paving the way for something bigger down the track. You could argue that, um, from a certain perspective, it's like an experiment. How compliant are people? I'm not saying that's necessarily the case, but I'm saying that that is one way that you could look at it, that it is paving the way, whether it's um, a cabal of so-called insiders or the devil or a combination or whatever. I think we could, uh, we could say that this is like something that's paving the way. I don't know whether you've heard of the Great Reset, the idea that the economy will be crashed at some point and you will end up owning nothing and be happy. Um, whether that will actually happen or not remains to be seen. And you may have seen uh, something that Brother Matt passed around on um, BSC Group, Prince Charles. I didn't actually see the clip myself, but Prince Charles talking about a man of mystery. And then um, I think we know who the man of mystery is. Or the, What did he say? The mystery man? I can't. Did he say with trillions of dollars? I don't think. Oh, that is disposal. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't see the video, but I, I, anyway. Yeah, so, I mean, you might argue that, you might think that Prince Charles is a bit of a buffoon. Um, I don't. I don't have a. I don't have a personal problem with him. I've never, never met him. I did see him live though at um, in Fielding at the farmers market. He was going around with Camilla, shaking people's hands. I thought it was nice that he wanted to come and actually see a farmers market. And um, anyway, so he probably has good motives, but I think, I think, whatever you. Whatever your thoughts are on, on these things, I think we can see that it's leading in one direction. Okay, so whatever the situation, and we know that only God knows absolutely for sure what's going on, it behooves us, and there's a word that you don't use every day, to ensure that we are ready for whatever may be coming. And behoove, I think, means that we are we should be responsible for making sure that we are ready for whatever things are coming our way. So, and that's where this little book called Preparing for the Underground Church comes in, and that was by Richard Wormbrand. 
And so Richard Wormbrand wrote many books. And um, this particular book, the premise of this book, is that you need to be prepared for what's coming ahead. Because, as he argues, if you're not prepared for suffering and persecution, when you're taken by the police, he gives this as an example, when you're taken by the police and you're tortured, they give you a couple of slaps, he, he argues, you will give everything away because you are just not prepared for that kind of thing. And he argues that you need to have spiritual preparation for suffering, for persecution. And I guess we, whether, I mean, whether or not we face torture, I don't know. So the background for Richard Wormbrand's background, he was a Romanian believer, died, I'm not sure, 10, 15 years ago, something like that. And um, he became a Christian under the fascist regime, I believe it was, in Romania. So very, they were very nationalistic. Um, they thought that, I guess, they felt that Europeans were superior. Richard Wormbrand was Jewish, so that didn't go very well for him, especially during the war. And yet, somehow, God used him to... He, in one example, he brazenly walked into a police station and managed to get some other Jew, Jewish friends released, even though he himself was Jewish. Only God can do that. And anyway, so because Romania fought with the Nazis, when the war was over and when the Allies won, the communists took over the Eastern Bloc. You probably know all this. And they set up puppet dictatorships all over the place including Romania, so Romania, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Poland, um, Bulgaria, etc. All puppet dictatorships under Stalin, and they all became incredibly brutal. And the reason for this was the all-encompassing ideology that came in with communism. And I don't know a great deal about the history of it, but there were the Bolsheviks versus the Mensheviks back in the Civil War, uh, around 1917, 1918, and the Mensheviks were much more moderate. The Bolsheviks were all-encompassing, and um, that's where the term totalitarianism comes from. And it's not just about being told what to do and you're just doing it. It's about ensuring that you believe the right things, that you are totally in line with the ideology of the age. And while that's rather difficult to make older people believe everything you want them to believe, it's through education that you make people believe everything you want them to believe. And so that is exactly what the Bolsheviks set out to do, and that's why you have um, you're very Bolshe, because very strident, arrogant, um, very radical, and so on. And so. That is exactly what happened in Eastern Europe, including Romania. You had to subscribe to Marxism and Leninism, to the, um, to the uh, ideology of the day. And if you dared say anything against it, you could be denounced. So, for example, um, in a particular book I read, I, well, I listened to it on CD, there was a woman who ended up in the labor camp merely because she said, that American sewing machines were better than the Russian sewing machines. It was not a political statement. It was just, I, I prefer the American ones. They're better. They do a better job. So she ended up in a 
in a labor camp. And you could end up in a labor camp for saying just anything like that. And there was one communist official who denounced Jesus as a right-wing imperialist because when Jesus said to the disciples, throw your nets out onto the right side of the boat, he was a right-winger, you see. <laughs> Even though the right and the left wing didn't come in until the French Revolution, centuries and centuries later. And so you see the mentality is unbelievably whatever, so indescribable. And in communist Soviet Union during the 30s, sometimes you just found yourself arrested anyway because the, the, the police had to fill their quota. There was a quota for arresting people. There was, it was just, just mind-bogglingly unbelievable. So anyway, <clears throat> there was obviously no free speech um, at all. So if you said something innocent about a sewing machine, if you dared to criticize anybody in authority, yeah, anyway... Now, in the Western world, we are faced with a similar situation. We are at a very, very dangerous juncture in our history. And because the West is built on ideas of free speech and liberty. And um, we're in a very dangerous position. Because we are required to believe and to assert certain things that we know are not correct. The idea of more than two genders, etc. We are being asked to throw away a biological fact, which has served us for all of our human history, in favor of something entirely alien to pander to a small minority. And there's other examples of this sort of thing going on. And it's a very subtle form of totalitarianism because it's, it's subtly worming its way into our society and is, um, yes, it's very dangerous. So there are many examples of people coming a cropper. But none of this should take us by surprise um, if we are in tune with the Lord because the Bible warns of increased wickedness and deception in the last days. So, it's not just about what people do, it's more about then what is officially sanctioned. And the things that are officially sanctioned are things that we as Christians can't agree with. And then the writing appears to be on the wall in terms of what we may be facing. So, whether or not, whatever you think about the pandemic, that's one thing. But the things that have been going on before the pandemic turned up that have been percolating is another thing entirely. Like I may have given the example of the Nigerian preacher who was in preaching in outside Southgate Station. That's about 10 minutes walk from where I grew up. Um, so he'd obviously emigrated from Nigeria to London at some point. Man in his 60s, he was preaching the word. And during that time, he denounced Islam. So it's possible that he came from northern Nigeria, where Christians are persecuted, and whether it, it doesn't really matter, but he was arrested for denouncing Islam, for being Islamophobic. The fact that he was an African didn't actually go in his favor at all. It didn't go against him either. It didn't count, um, because the fact that he 
denounced Islam was stronger than his ethnicity because there's like a hierarchy of things, there's a hierarchy of, of victimhood. And um, if you're a person of color, that does go in your favor most of the time, except when you cross other lines. And he crossed the Islamophobic line. So he ended up getting arrested. They didn't charge him or anything, but they took him to a police station about five to two, three, four miles down the road and made him walk back home, which was not nice. <clears throat> so the writing's on the wall, and these kinds of things are happening more and more. Um, so we need to be prepared. So the whole point of all that is we need to be prepared. The pandemic may be ushering in something but we do need to be prepared because there are things going on that will continue to go on um, when this is all over in one way or another. So there are two ways you can prepare for the underground church for persecution. So before I go into those, you may wonder, well, I don't know that we'll ever face being arrested and tortured. I don't know that we'll ever have the Bible taken off us. I don't know that these things will ever happen. And you may be right, they may not. But at the same time, if there's one thing that we have learned through this pandemic, is things change really quickly. Things that we never thought would possibly happen, could possibly happen, have happened. And therefore we need to be prepared that things can change very quickly. So there's two ways we can prepare. The physical way, physically. So if, you're, if you believe that persecution is coming, you can prepare yourself by depriving yourself of worldly pleasure. So there's the issue of getting... No, you could fast. Now, this is also spiritual, but fasting is a physical thing, but there's a very strong spiritual dimension to it. But you can fast because depriving your body of food, and you are the master of your body, not your appetite, the master of you. I'm not a fan of fasting, um, and whenever we do it, I don't look forward to it. And sometimes, occasionally, we say, well, why don't we fast tomorrow? We've got, you know, we've got people coming for tea tonight, but fast tomorrow. And when tomorrow comes, I regret putting it off because it means I've still got to do it. Because I, I don't know, it's, it's pathetic really, I admit. But anyway, so there's fasting. But there, I mean, perhaps you could, I don't know, you could sleep on the hard floor in the cold and uh, try and get used to it. And then the Philippines, I remember some years ago, many years ago, I saw a clip of some Filipinos getting crucified because they felt that that was a good thing to do, to identify with Christ. Now, there are some things you can do. Physical is only certain. Paul does talk about um, training your body and all that sort of thing. But I think there's, I think you can take it too far. Fasting is a good thing. If you feel God is leading you to sleep on the floor, hard floor, then do so. But I don't think that's necessarily going to help you. And um, I just don't think God would ever lead you to cruci get crucified because that is what Jesus did and that was his role and his alone. It's not for you to do that. We are to be crucified with Christ, but that, doesn't that does not mean physically on a cross. 
it means something else entirely. So there are some positive effects that physical preparation may have for you. But we do need to be very careful about that. But spiritual preparation is a very different thing entirely. And as I said, fasting has a very strong spiritual aspect because when you fast, you pray at the same time. And it seems from Scripture that there is power in fasting and praying. As Jesus said of the demons that would not leave a certain person, he told his disciples, this demon or these demons only leave through prayer and fasting. So spiritual preparation for the end. And those who walk closely with the Lord always find very strong help in times of trouble. And those who walk closely with the Lord are not unduly alarmed by what they see around them because they expect these sorts of things. So what happens when, though, when we go from being observers, we observe what's going on around us but we're not affected, to becoming participants, when we actually find that what's happening, that the deterioration of morals, of the crazy ideas, that they actually impact on us, what do we do? So fasting and praying is one. Memorizing scripture is a good thing. Because what will become of the Bible when hate speech becomes entrenched? So basically, at the moment, the hate speech laws that are being enacted here in New Zealand probably wouldn't affect the Bible um, as such. But the problem is that hate speech laws set precedents. And you, you, you create an act of parliament. And over years, the act is tinkered. So you have the hate speech law, or whatever it's called, 2022. I guess that's when it will be passed. If it hasn't already, I, I don't know. Okay, so that's one thing. Then a couple of years later, there'll be an amendment. Then there'll be another amendment, and then you'll find that within five years, there are 20 amendments, many of which effectively outlaw the Bible and other, other kinds of literature. I'm not 100% certain how that would affect the Quran. Um, but anyway, these things set precedents and they accumulate over years. So what happens when the Bible becomes hate speech? The Bible doesn't change, God doesn't change to accommodate current morality. Does that mean the Bible will be banned as a book? Or does that mean bits of the Bible will be banned? Does that mean when you buy a Bible you'll find... Um, can't think of a scripture, that parts of Deuteronomy will be blacked out, or you'll just find that your Bible, which is, let me see, how many pages, 2,000, let's say, for the sake of argument, 2,300 pages, your 2,300 page Bible becomes 2,052, because portions of it have to be taken out. So I, I don't know, but what happens then? And it seems inconceivable that we will not be able to have Bibles, but things can happen quickly. And I'm not saying it will, but it could happen. It seems barely credible 
but you just don't know the way things will move. And they do move very quickly. And it is surprising how quickly freedoms fly out the window when there's a disaster or a crisis. And so we've got the, we've got the climate change emergency, which is kind of on the back burner, which no one's thinking about too, uh, too much because of the pandemic. But when the pandemic passes, who knows what the climate change emergency will bring? It's not a, it doesn't seem connected to the Bible very clearly, but I don't know. So, memorizing scripture and learn to be discreet. Now, we know what we believe, but we don't necessarily need to shoot our mouth off about these particular subjects. We don't need to go up to people and say, um, whatever, we don't need to go up and say, oh, I believe there's only two genders and that's what you're saying is all a lot of rubbish and blah, blah, blah. We don't need to go out of our way to say, be provocative. However, we do need to say what we believe if it comes up. So we also need to take the word seriously. And Psalm 91 tells us, I have hidden my word in your heart that I may not sin against you. And finally, and this is by no means an exhaustive list, but finally, delight in the Lord. As it says in Psalm 37, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And taking everything together, those who delight themselves in the Lord, those who put him first, they're not unduly alarmed by what's going on. They kind of expect it. But they find, you will find you have the strength to withstand whatever God may allow to come into your life. Because at the end of the day, you can't predict what potentially horrendous things you may have to suffer. And I would suggest you don't need to focus on anything horrendous. You don't need to think, um, mm, how am I going to handle torture? How am I going to handle starvation? How am I going to handle deprivation? Because remember, Jesus says, don't worry about what you will say when you're hauled before the rulers and so on, because the Holy Spirit will give you words to say. Don't worry about how you're going to um, face torture. Don't worry about when they, when the, when the, they, they bring out the drill or the red-hot pokers. Don't, don't dwell on it. Because... <laughs> don't start. So, yeah, you, you can't predict. And, you know, it may not come to that. Hopefully it won't, Lord willing. But the point is that if you walk closely with the Lord, that if you delight with Him, delight in Him, um, he gives you what you need, the strength that you need. In the meantime, we give thanks um, in all things. Philippians 4, 4, give thanks in everything. Don't worry, as Philippians 4, 4, 8 says, paraphrasing, don't worry, pray, give thanks to God. Follow Jesus' example. Forgive those who are enacting these things. Forgive them in government. Jesus said, 
Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And that was when he was dying on the cross. We can either judge those who are ruling over us, or we can forgive them on the grounds that God forgave us. And as Mike prayed, that we're no different to them. Basically, when God extended his grace and mercy to us, we were just like them, human. So I think, in summing it all up, we do need to delight ourselves in the Lord. And we do need to, I think, the wisest thing would be to ask God, how might I prepare for what is ahead? Because we don't know for sure. And we need to be wise in the way we walk, circumspect in what we say, but not afraid to say or speak the truth, but not be provocative at the same time. Ask God for wisdom. Because it seems to many of us, it certainly seems to me, that things can only get worse from here. Yes, the pandemic may pass as the, as the virus itself becomes what is known as endemic, that it just simply becomes part of the flu, um, cold circulation, people get it every year, our immunity stands up to it, fine. So that's all very good. So it will pass. But like the Toronto experience, if you remember the Toronto experience of 1994, we don't think about the Toronto experience anymore, but it created some precedents within the church. It changed things, I think, quite fundamentally is my observation. And one might argue the same with this, yet the disease itself will kind of go into the background and it won't be an issue anymore, but it creates precedents. It, it smooths the path that much more for a more degree of totalitarianism. And with what's going on in all the different countries, at least in the West, uh, repudiating the past, um, removing free speech, not allowing certain opinions to be expressed, a lot of these things having direct contradiction with the Bible, it seems that things are moving in that kind of direction. And so we do need to be wise. We do need to be aware of what's going on. We don't need to dwell on it or obsess about it, but we need to be in a position where we are delighting ourselves in the Lord so that when these things do come, we are not unduly alarmed and we have the wisdom and the strength to deal with it. So yes, so not so a little bit different to Romans 7. Uh, not, not a teaching, what would you call that, preaching? Taking one little scripture and, you know, is that eisegesis? I'm not sure. But anyway, I shall pray. So Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. I pray that these words that you intend um, I, no, I pray that the effect that you intended to have would come about and that any words that are not from you would just um, go away and die, so to speak. I pray, Lord, that you would give us all hearts to that delight in you, hearts that are ready for whatever might be coming. And we thank you and <coughs> praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.